Alhamdulillah, innal hamdalillah, hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, mubarakan fih, wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala nabiyyina al-ameen, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So today, as scheduled, we'll discuss the issue of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it could actually be entitled the manzilat al-sunnah, the status of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in al-Islam. And this topic is of utmost importance, as we will see, as the sunnah is a source of revelation of the prophet, uh, the revelation, and it's a source, uh, one of the primary sources in al-Islam. So we begin with the definition of sunnah. We find that the sunnah linguistically is a seerah, a way, or a path, or a tariqah. If everyone could remove their cameras, please. Make sure your cameras are off. Barakallahu feekum. Now. This is in the Arabic language. To be a path, a seerah, or a tariqah. And we find uh, a mention of this by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whereby he mentions وَمَا مَنِعَ النَّاسَ أَنْ يُؤْمِنُوا إِذْ جَاءَهُمُ الْهُدَى وَيَسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّهُمْ إِلَّا أَنْ تَأْتِيَهُمْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَهُمُ الْعَذَابُ قُبُلًا And nothing has prevented the people from believing when guidance came to them and from asking forgiveness from their Lord, except that there must before them a present of the former peoples, meaning sunnatul awwaleen, their way, or that the punishment should come to them, i.e. before them. And there's other ayat that demonstrate this, demonstrate the meaning of a sunnah. Showing that sunnah means away, rather. Showing that sunnah means away. Also, istilahan, as a term, when we refer to the sunnah, then there are different definitions that have been given by the scholars of, of al-Islam, whether it be the scholars of hadith, the scholars of al-fiqh, or the scholars of usul, usul al-fiqh. We find, as it relates to muhaddithin, then they say that the sunnah, what the sunnah refers to is ma uthira anil nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that which has been attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, min qawl, from his actions, or fi'lin, or from his statements, or his actions, or his taqrirat, his approvals, or sifati, and there's some that they add from his characteristics, his characteristics and his traits, i.e. his physical characteristics, his appearance and the lights and his character. 
That's as it relates to the scholars of Al-Hadith. As for the scholars of Asul, Al-Asuliyun, Al-Asuliyin, then they say that which has been transmitted from the Prophet from his statements or his actions or his approvals or his approvals. And this is what we are generally referring to throughout this lecture, Sunnah, his Sunnah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So a statement would be a statement that he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uttered, something that he said. For example, the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, La yu'minu ahadakum, hatta akuna ahabba ilayhi min walidihi wa walidihi wa nasi ajma'in that none of you truly believe, none of you truly believe until I become more beloved to them than their father, their child, and all of mankind. This is an example of his statement, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which is from his sunnah, which be, would which be considered from his sunnah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As for his actions, then, is what we find that he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, did the things that he did in terms of how he prayed, how the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, how they reported that he prayed, how they reported that he performed his hajj. This would be an example of his uh, actions, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then we have his approvals, the things that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam allowed, meaning it happened in his presence or he had knowledge of this and he did not show in car he did not show that he disliked he showed that he was pleased or he allowed it to happen and this is what we consider to be from his taqrir his uh, approval something that he approved sallallahu alaihi wasallam this would all be considered from the umbrella of the sunnah of his sunnah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as for the fuqaha, as for the scholars of al-fiqh, then when they say a sunnah, when they refer to the sunnah, then is that which has been established from the Prophet wasallam, that which is not uh, an obligation. It's not an obligation. And you could say it opposes that which is wajib. It's a level less than wajib. It's that which isn't wajib. For example, from those five rulings, the al-ahkam al-khamsa. So you have wajib, you have something which is sunnah, meaning mustahab, you have things that are mubah, that are permissible, and you have things that are makruh, they are disliked, and things that are haram, they are impermissible. However, what we are referring to today is his actions in his statements and his approvals, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what brings us to our next point is, why should we follow the sunnah? Why should we follow that which the Prophet said, did, or approved and allowed? What is the reason for this? The reason, uh, if there was one main reason is, whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي 
Wallahu ghafuru rahim. Say, O Muhammad, if you indeed love Allah, if you truly love Allah, then follow me so that Allah will love you and forgive for you your sins and Allah is forgiven and merciful. Now in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions three important things. First, that if indeed you love Allah, if you truly love Allah, then follow me. And Allah said, say, say, meaning addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, follow me, then follow me. So Allah ordered the Prophet to say, follow me, to tell them to follow him, who his companions and those who came after him from amongst the Muslims from the, or from those from his ummah. What is the result of this? Allah will love you. Allah will love you. And he will forgive for you your sins. And if we look at the sentence, then it's conditional. If indeed you love Allah, then you should love me. Then you should follow me rather. And Allah will subsequently love you and he will forgive for you your sins. So in following his sunnah is these two great rewards, these two tremendous rewards. Also, we could mention the fact that, as we alluded to previously, is that the sunnah is wahi. It's wahi, meaning what? It's revelation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, improving this, in reference to the Prophet and he doesn't speak from his own desires. Rather, indeed it is wahi that was revealed unto him. So he doesn't speak of his own desires, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rather, it is only wahi. It is only wahi, which makes it a source and a proof in al-Islam. And we find that there's a relationship between the Quran and the Sunnah, which we will uh, point to and indicate shortly, insha'Allah ta'ala. Also, we find that there's an order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hashr, where Allah says, وَمَا أَتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ Whatever, whatsoever the Rasul, the Messenger gives you, then you should take it. I accept it. And that which he prohibits you from doing, then you should refrain. You should stop and you should refrain. So this is uh, another important reason that shows the importance of following the Sunnah and why we should follow his Sunnah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why? Because in following that is obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is our Lord and Creator. We also find that Allah mentions in Surah Ali Imran And obey Allah and the Messenger meaning and obey Allah and obey the Messenger so that you may receive mercy so that you may receive mercy and we also find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the believers, whereby he says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, ati'u Allah, wa ati'u rasul wa ulil amri minkum. Obey Allah and obey the messenger 
and those of authority over you. Wa ulil amri minkum. And then we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, فَإِنْتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ And if you differ in a matter, فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ Then return that back to Allah and the Messenger. إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ If indeed you believe in Allah on the last day, what do you do in times of differing? You refer it back to Allah and His Messenger. You return the issues back to Allah and his messenger, meaning the kitab and the sunnah. The kitab, the Quran, and that which we find in the sunnah of the Prophet And when we're referring to the sunnah, we are referring to that which is authentically attributed to the Prophet And there's uh, many ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders us to obey him and obey the messenger and obey his messenger demonstrating the importance and the obligation of following the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, following those orders that he has given us and those things that he has prevented us and prohibited us from doing. In another verse, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala mentions, وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنًا إِذَا قَدَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَيْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِرِيَةُ that it is not befitting for a believer, a female, a male believer, or a female believer, that when Allah and His Messenger decide upon a matter, that they have any choice therein. And whomsoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger, then indeed they have gone. Uh, astray a clear misguidance they are clearly misguided so in this verse in surat al-ahzab ayah number 36 allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a huge threat here that whoever disobeys allah and his messenger then what then they are misguided they have uh, they are clearly misguided showing that what if you obey allah and his messenger then you are upon guidance, insha'Allah ta'ala. There are some ahadith that also demonstrate the importance of following the sunnah. As the Prophet sallallahu explicitly said in a hadith, the hadith of Ibad ibn Usariya, whereby he said, that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي And it's a portion of the hadith. So upon you is my sunnah, is my sunnah, meaning my way. وَسُنَّةِ الْخُرَفَاءِ رَاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ And the sunnah and the way of those rightly guided caliphs. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, upon you is my sunnah. Upon you is my sunnah. I hold on to my sunnah. Hold on to my sunnah. And he goes on to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Tamasaku biha. Hold on to it, meaning his sunnah. And bite onto it with your molars. Bite onto it with your molars. And this 
shows the emphasis that the Prophet ﷺ placed upon following his sunnah, whereby he said to follow it, hold on to it, tamasaku biha, hold on to it, grasp it, and bite onto it with your molars. Bite onto it with your molars. Meaning, don't allow it to slip from you. Leave it as something that you hold daily in your daily lives. And we'll emphasize on this more, insha'Allah ta'ala. So if we look at the relationship between the Qur'an and the Sunnah. There's a link between them or a relationship that they share, which is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah are both sources of revelation. They are both sources of revelation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the dhikr. He mentions about the dhikr and the revelation where he says, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, and we had sent down and revealed to you the reminder. Meaning the Qur'an, لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ So that you may clarify to mankind that which was revealed to them. For who to clarify? For you to clarify, O Muhammad. Meaning his sunnah clarifies the Qur'an. And this is what we find as well, that the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, then it clarifies the Qur'an. And one of the best examples of this is the salah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, salah." He orders us and establish the salah, establish the prayer. Okay, so the question arises, how do we establish the prayer? And we find that the salah is only mentioned in brief. It's not explicitly mentioned. I, the details of how we pray isn't outlined in the Quran. Whether it be the awqat salah the times of the prayer, whether it be the wajibat, the obligatory elements of the prayer, or the sunan, or the arkan, the pillars, and the recommended acts of the salah, we don't find this in the Quran. Rather, we find this outlined and stipulated predominantly in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning his statements or actions or his approvals. So this shows the fact that the sunnah, it clarifies the Qur'an, meaning it explains the Qur'an, it explains that which was mentioned in brief or only mentioned in some in the Qur'an and the details have come in the sunnah. So that's as it relates to the salah. And even you could say the same for the zakah as the amounts of uh, the amount that you pay and these things, they've been stipulated in the authentic sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Showing that it is part of the revelation, it's part of the revelation and it's part of Al-Islam. And it is uh, important for us to follow this. And it's something that we need in our daily lives. As one can only pray if they follow the sunnah of the Prophet in the correct way. As he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. 
pray as you have seen me pray. Pray as you see me pray. And this is why we find the companions, those who met the Prophet وسلم, believing in him and died upon Islam, his companions, may Allah be pleased with them all, we find that they were diligent in recording the way in which he prayed and observing how he prayed where he placed his hands, how he would, would raise his hands. If you look at the hadith, they were mentioned that he would he would raise his hands up until his earlobes or his shoulders, showing that they were paying attention, meaning that they were paying attention to how he prayed and they recorded this and they preserved this and passed it on to the tabi'een and the atba' al-tabi'een. Again, a reminder to remove your cameras. Barakallahu feekum. There's another example that we can find that demonstrates the fact that the Sunnah, it clarifies the Quran and explains the Quran. And even when you look at the uh, foundations or the science of a tafsir, you find that they mentioned that the second source of tafsir is, or the second level of tafsir is tafsir al-Qur'ani bi sunnah. Even the tafsir, the exegesis of the Qur'an with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So we find that there is a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, those who believe and they do not mix their faith with dhulm, with dhulm, with oppression. Those shall have safety and they are those who are rightly guided. So dhulm in this ayah, dhulm meaning oppression, the companions they understood this as oppression, what we understand from oppression, meaning to oppress someone. And they understood it in its general sense. So they inquired and they said to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, ayyuna la yadlim nafsa. O Messenger of Allah, who is the one who does not oppress himself? They were wondering, they asked. And the Prophet wasallam, he gave them the correct understanding of the verse where he said, Laysa kama It's not as you are saying. I, that's not the understanding. That's not the correct understanding. And then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Alam tasma'u ila qawli Luqman ibnihi. Have you not listened to the statement of Luqman to his son? I in those verses that speak about uh, Luqman's advice to his son, where he says, Oh, my son, do not commit shirk. Inna shirka ladulmun alim. And this is the point here. Indeed, a shirk is a great and severe oppression, form of oppression, meaning that what is mentioned in the ayah, that they do not mix their faith with shirk. They do not mix their faith with shirk. And the point is that the Prophet wasallam he explained the meaning, despite it being apparent in the Arabic language, despite the fact that it is clear in the Arabic language. However, the Prophet ﷺ, he gave the correct understanding of this particular ayah. And there are 
many instances in which he did this sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As is in the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُ الْحُسْنَى وَزِيَادًا For those who do good, for those who do good is good and extra, وَزِيَادًا and something more. So what is this something more that is for those who do good deeds? Then we find that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explained this and he mentioned ziyada is the seeing or seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on yawm al-qiyam. Seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah, yawm al-qiyam. This is the ziyada that is referred to in this ayah. So we find that there are instances where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam will clarify and he will further explain a particular issue as it relates to the Quran, showing the strong link between these two sources of revelation. And we find, as we mentioned earlier, that the Quran orders us to obey him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We find that there's uh, many orders to obey him, uh, as we've mentioned, so again, showing the strong link between the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, how can we adhere to the Sunnah? How can we follow the Sunnah? First and foremost, we obey Allah and His Messenger. Obey Allah and His Messenger, as this is what we have been ordered to do in the verses that we mentioned, and also staying away from sins, as sins are those things that we have been prohibited from doing, whether it be through the Quran or through the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We can also perform those acts of worship that have been recommended, meaning the acts of worship that the Prophet Sallallahu would do those superiority acts of worship, for example, the rawatib, the salawat that we can perform that are not an obligation. For example, raka'at al-fajr, those two raka'at before fajr, the four raka'at before dhuhr, and the two after dhuhr, and also the two raka'at after maghrib, and the raka'at that we perform after isha. These are from the things that we can do to implement and adhere to the sunnah. Also, if we hear that something is a sunnah and it becomes established and is clarified that something is a sunnah, then we hasten to do that act. We hasten to implement this act and to perform it, even if it's at least once. For example, using the miswak, this, this siwak stick, when we perform wudu, for example, before we perform our salah, when we enter the house, the times that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam would do this, this is what we uh, hasten to do. This is something that we do our best to do. And this is how we can establish the sunnah in our daily lives. Also, we can perform these sunnahs. We can actually perform uh, so rather clarify the sunnah to others, our relatives, uh, those who are close to us, we clarify these things that are 
considered to be from the sunnah, then we clarify them to others. And we spread this, as this is a way of spreading khair, spreading goodness amongst the Muslims. If we find that something is a sunnah, then we inform others that it is a sunnah and we advise them in a good way, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. We'll move on to the harms of opposing the sunnah. The harms of opposing the sunnah and the importance of following the sunnah. As the Prophet mentioned that kulla bid'atin dalala, that every act of innovation is misguidance. Every act of innovation is misguidance. Every innovation is misguidance meaning things that are newly introduced to the religion, i.e. things that oppose the sunnah, things that oppose the sunnah and that have been newly introduced into al-Islam. And we have a quote here from Imam al-Balbahari who has a kitab, a book known as Sharh al-Sunnah, Explanation of the Sunnah. And there's many other books that we can find that are entitled a sunnah. They have the title of a sunnah, like the Sunnah, Sunnah lil Khalal, Sunnah lil Lalakai, Sunnah by Abdullah ibn Ahmed, the son of Imam Ahmed, and the likes. There's various books that are entitled as a Sunnah. And when we look at these books, then we find that they don't only talk about Sunnah in the way that we've mentioned it, rather they talk about Sunnah in terms of uh, our belief our creed, they mention issues of the unseen and how we, uh, our correct belief in that regard, al-qada'u wal qadr decree and predestination, or pre-decree rather, and these things. These are the issues that they mention, our belief as it relates to the companions of the Prophet These are the things that we find in these books. So in this book, there's a quote where he mentions, no, that people have never innovated except that they have left something similar from the Sunnah. And this is true that within leaving the Sunnah one, it can lead to innovation. It can lead to innovation, leaving of the Sunnah. And if one falls into innovation, you find that something from the Sunnah is usually left off. Something from the Sunnah is usually left off. For example, as it relates to Allah's perfect names and attributes, those who deny the meanings or deny the correct understanding of them. For example, those who perhaps say Allah is in every place, for example, then they leave off the correct belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne, that he is in the heavens. Then these are the, some of the things that can be mentioned as it relates to leaving off something that is the sunnah, and it being replaced with a, an incorrect belief or incorrect action. We also find that Imam Ahmad in his book, Asul Sunnah, when he opens his book, he speaks about the Sunnah and he says, Asul Sunnati indana atamasuk bimakana alayhi ashabu rasulillah, waliqtida'i bihim wa tarkil bid'a. That the foundations or the principles of the Sunnah with us, meaning with the people of the Sunnah and the people that love the Sunnah, then it is a tamasuk 
it is to hold on to that which the companions of the messenger of Allah were upon and it is to follow them, either understanding and to leave off innovation and also to leave off innovation. We also find that Imam al-Bahari, when he opens his book, he mentions a point, يَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ الْإِسْلَامُ هُوَ السُنَّةِ وَالسُنَّةِ هِيَ الْإِسْلَامِ Know that Islam is the Sunnah and that the Sunnah is Islam. Again, showing that they are one. It is part of Islam, the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. It is part of Al-Islam. We also find as it relates to the Sunnah and those who perhaps reject the Sunnah or deny the validity of the Sunnah and those who say enough for us is the Quran. We have the Quran. We do not need the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is incorrect in reality, it's incorrect. And we find that the Sunnah was preserved as is part of the religion, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. Indeed, we have revealed the reminder, meaning the Quran, and we shall indeed protect it. And we shall indeed preserve it. And part of that preservation, as Ibn uh, Hazm, rahimahullah, mentions, is the Sunnah, what is mentioned or included in this is the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. As Allah, part of preserving Quran is preservation of the sunnah, is preservation of the sunnah. And this is what we find with the scholars of Hadith who went gray in preserving the sunnah. They spent much of their lives differentiating between that which was authentic and that which is unauthentically attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And their books are available and they're accessible to the scholars and they have been preserved. They have been preserved as was preserved the, as the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was preserved. So to summarize what we've covered is the following. The fact that the sunnah in the Arabic language means that it is a path or a way, meaning a path or a way. And also as it relates to the Arabic language or the, sorry, the term, if we're using it as an Islamic term, then it differs depending on which angle we are uh, looking at, depending on which angle. For example, as we mentioned, then as for the muhaddithin, then they say that is that which was attributed to the Prophet wasallam from his statements, actions, or his approvals and his physical characteristics and his uh, character. So we find that this is their interpretation. As we look at the Asuliyun, and they say that which is attributed to the Prophet from statements or actions or reports. So it changes uh, depending on which angle we are looking at it from. Also, the obligation, we've covered the obligation of performing or acting upon the Sunnah of the Prophet. 
whether it's singular reports or whether it's uh, numerous reports, then we act upon his sunnah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also, we've established that the sunnah, it uh, clarifies that which is mujmal, that which is perhaps uh, ambiguous from the Quran, then the sunnah, it clarifies this and it comes to explain these particular issues. This is also the role of the sunnah. Also, the hujjiyah uh, of the sunnah is not to be denied. The validity of the sunnah is not to be denied. It's something rather that we affirm and that we accept. And there is uh, also what we've discussed is the evils of innovation as the Prophet وسلم, he said, Every innovation is misguidance. And this is something that is part of what we know as his khutbatul haja, which was the khutbah, the sermon that he would recite at times of need, at times of need, at times of importance, weddings, yawm al-jum'ah, and the likes. We find that he would recite this or say this particular khutbah. And in it, he mentions towards the end that every innovation is misguidance. And kul, it means always a way of generalizing. So it's, uh, it's general, meaning all. It's a way of that demonstrate that all innovations are misguidance. All innovation are misguidance. Are there any questions? Now, barakallahu feekum, one uh, 
I've just seen that there's a, a chat here. Some questions. Now, a book on Salah, a, a, a quite unique book in this regard, is the book that was uh, recommended by another listener. So here's the Prophet's prayer described by Sheikh Al-Ghani Rahimahullah Ta'ala. I believe it's been translated into English and perhaps there's also uh, English explanations available for those who do not know Arabic. Also again, Al-Dunusul Muhimma, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ibn Baz Rahimahullah is also another uh, good book, Important Lessons for Every uh, Muslim. And someone uh, reminded us that uh, meaning tomorrow is uh, from the Sunnah, it's from his Sunnah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to fast to fast Mondays and uh, Thursdays Mondays and Thursdays it's from his Sunnah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and with tomorrow being Monday then again it's an opportunity to implement his Sunnah and this is how we implement his sunnah. And this is how we demonstrate our love for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam by implementing his sunnah. As he mentioned that Monday was the day in which he was born. When he was questioned as to why you fast Monday, he mentioned Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that that was the day in which I was born. So he would fast. And the point being there that he wouldn't Celebrate, rather he would fast. And this is what he limited it to. He fasted. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And his companions fasted. This is how they uh, implemented that particular sunnah. So I'm just trying to go through the questions. No, rather we limit, someone said, does it mean we will fast on the day that is our birthday? Look, rather we limit it to the fact that he fasted on Mondays, the companions, and we'd fast on Mondays fast on Mondays. This is what uh, the understanding, showing what the importance of the understanding of our uh, pious predecessors, those early generations, those early generations and following, as we mentioned, upon you is my sunnah, my way and the way of those uh, rightly guided caliphs who came after me emphasizing the importance of following them and their way. As Imam Ahmed mentioned in the beginning of his book, Asul al-Sunnah, Asul al-Sunnah indana at-tamasuk bima kana alayhi ashabi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa liqtida'i bihim. That the foundations of the Sunnah is holding on to, holding dear to that which the companions of the Prophet, of the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam were upon and following them, taking them as guides, taking them as our example. And from that is his family, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
as they were his companions, they were his companions, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Now, if you hear, if you know of a particular sunnah but do not adhere to it, religiously, is it okay to pass it in forward to others? Now, as a sunnah, as you mentioned, sunnah with the fuqaha, sometimes one of the meanings of sunnah is that something is, uh, is something that someone is reward, rewarded for performing. Rewarded for performing. This is one of the effects of sunnah. If someone performs it, then they are rewarded. If they do not perform it, then they are uh, not sinful. For example, the rawatib or the two rak'ah before fajr. If someone left it off, then they would not be, we wouldn't say that they are deserving of uh, punishment or they're under threat of punishment. However, it's better to pray the two rak'ah before fajr. It's better and it is a great reward. As the Prophet mentioned in the hadith, rak'at al-fajr, khayrun min dunya wa ma fiha that the two rak'ah of Salat al-Fajr, meaning before Salat al-Fajr, the sunnah of before Salat al-Fajr, is better than the dunya, better than the world, than, and all that is in it. Better than the world and all that is in it. Uh, to advise, from, I to advise someone who continues to uh, an act which is not in accordance to the Quran or the Sunnah. You advise them uh, patiently. You advise them uh, patiently, and you present to them the proofs. And perhaps, maybe it's due to your position with them. Maybe they're older than you, or something like this, which is preventing them. Although it's not correct, maybe you get someone else who is. Uh, perhaps on their level or similar age or similar background, etc., to 
advise them as well. This is also something. And all your uh, obligation is, is to advise them. That's all your role or responsibility is, is to advise. If someone doesn't accept your advice, you've done that which you uh, have to do or that which you, you should do, just advise. However, how do you advise? With uh, wisdom and with a good admonition. That's how we advise in a good way, in a way in which we hope that they would accept the truth, not in a way that belittles them, not in a way that uh, makes them feel small or uh, makes them feel as if they're ignorant or something like this. Rather, we advise them in a good manner, advise them with uh, a good manner. And inshallah, uh, they'll accept the truth. They'll accept the truth. As the sunnah is clear, it's clear. And it's a clear path. Uh, the Prophet, as I mentioned, he's left us with two things that which, if we hold on to them, we will never go astray, meaning the Kitab and his Sunnah left us on a clear path. Left us on a clear path. Any tips to reduce anger? If you're standing, then sit down. If you're standing, then sit down. If not, uh, lie down. If not, then you can make wudu and these things, make dhikr. Tayyib, one's asking about the issue of Salat al-Tarawih. It's known that the Prophet ﷺ would pay eight rak'ah. Some scholars have preferred this to limit to eight rak'ah. And this is an issue of uh, fiqh. Some scholars have said, that as the Prophet ﷺ never paid more than eight or 11, you could say, then they see this as being understood as a limit. And this was a, a limit uh, indicating that that is the uh, maximum from them, Sheikh Bani. And then other scholars, they have said, no, as the Prophet ﷺ said, Salatu Layl, Mathna, Mathna, that the night prayer is two by two, i.e. two units, two units. And this is a general statement. So it is general. And uh, many scholars, they've gone with this opinion that you can pray more than eight and some have reduced it to praying eight. And then even some have given tafsil, they give given more detail and it depends on the person, how their prayer would be. For example, if someone were to pray eight rakah uh, fast, or then maybe prayer more would make their prayer uh, better in terms of the length of their prayer, the length of qiyam, the length of standing. But it's the issue of khilaf and the scholars have uh, spoken about this. Okay, I know of someone who has returned to Islam after leaving al Islam. They now claim they're Muslim, but denounce the Quran and the Sunnah. What is the best way to support them with this? Okay, they're Muslim, but they denounce the Quran. Do you mean just the Sunnah or the Quran and the Sunnah? Just the Sunnah. 
you advise them, you advise them, uh, you bring the proofs to them. As we mentioned, the salah, the timings of the salah, uh, how to pray the salah, what we need to recite in our salah, all of this is outlined in the sunnah of the Prophet and the verse that we mentioned, and we have revealed the Quran, so that you can clarify, so that you may clarify to mankind that which you have. So that you may clarify to them that which was revealed to them. So it shows that the Prophet has a role of clarifying that which was revealed, meaning the Quran. Also, as we mentioned, he doesn't speak from his own desires. And he doesn't speak from his own desires, rather it is revelation revealed unto him. So you advise them with these proofs that demonstrate the importance of the sunnah and the ahadith and that the ahadith are revelation, the authentic ahadith are also the source of revelation. And this isn't something, this is something that the uh, scholars have consensus of. The scholars of Ahl Sunnah, they have consensus that the Sunnah uh, is to be followed. So you advise this person. And as we know, especially in these times, usually it's due to the, someone being exposed to some type of shubha, some type of doubt, or uh, or following desires, so you clarify this to them, and also you make du'a to them, you make du'a to them, du'a for them, you make du'a for them, you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide them to the truth, and with that we will end, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak, ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.